You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. We've got a pretty cool show for you today, so you'll want to stay tuned uh, for some of our uh, guests and topics. Later on, we will uh, be talking with Jillian Shaw. Can your boss legally spy on your computer? And the reason we wanted to do this uh, particular segment is with uh, that news story about the Saanich mayor. Absolutely. Um, it really kind of opened the dialogue about what your boss can or cannot do in your company. And I think for employees, it's, it's important to understand what your rights are and what your employer's rights are as well. We're also going to be uh, talking with the folks over at openmedia.ca about uh, potential copyright uh, laws, potential lawsuits uh, against people downloading uh, illegal movies and TV shows. And I know people are starting to get letters uh, that uh, they have illegally downloaded something and are potentially liable. Uh, have you got a letter yet, Mike? Yes. You have, you have. <laughs> I have, yes. And so what does it say inside the letter? Uh, it's, uh, I can't remember all the details. Uh, it was from my ISP basically saying uh, a copyright holder, uh, I won't mention who they are, um, has requested uh, my information. Well, uh, And that I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Luckily, I don't do anything of such, so uh, I don't anticipate having those letters anytime soon. You're going to get about 20 letters. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to find out what it all means. Should you be worried? Should you not? Uh, again, those are the folks open at, uh, over at openmedia.ca. We'll also be talking with uh, Ted Christonis. He will uh, be chatting about 2015. And is it the year of the drones? We're starting to see these things fly around all over the place. Could they be spying on us? Yeah, it's going to be an amazing conversation. I think 2015 will go down as the year of the drones just because they are so popular and there's so many different consumer drones available for people to play with. Well, I know, you know, we've seen, you know, stories of uh, these things hovering outside of people's apartment buildings and these things have cameras on them now. They're also a problem at uh, airports around the world. Not to mention the paparazzi in LA. They just absolutely oh love my, oh the my drones. God. Can you imagine? Yes. Uh, I bet you TMZ has a bunch of drones uh, on their uh, on, on their payroll as well. So some interesting stories uh, this week. Um, we, we, we've seen a, a few closures uh, announced. Uh, Target has announced uh, that they're closing down uh, all of their stores in Canada. And uh, on the heels of that, uh, Sony has announced that they're closing down all 13, I think 13 or 14 of their uh, there's Sony store locations across Canada. And it is kind of funny because every day when we come to the radio show, there is a Sony store that we pass all the time. And I'm always looking inside to see uh, the new gadgets and gizmos. But Sony, even before Apple got into the retail business, Sony has been there for forever. And uh, it just shows a sign of the times when, when they shut down. They've, they've definitely struggled, but they've done well in some sense, especially in the gaming. But for the TV and the... Uh, Mobile devices, uh, they've really struggled, especially in the smartphone business. So, you know, I bring up the Target uh, closures as well. I mean, you know, I, I kind of feel that this is a sign of the times, Andy. Uh, you know, e-commerce is becoming, uh, you know, a, a very big part of our lives now. Uh, I think people, for the most part, are comfortable ordering things online, uh, even things like clothes, shoes, uh, sweaters, and what have you. So, you know, as that uh, increases, are more retail uh, companies going to be in trouble. Well, one of the, the things that they talk about a lot in the retail world is showrooming. And this is when consumers go into a store, look at a product, decide that they actually want to buy that product, and then they open up their smartphone and find better deals online. And this problem's happened for the last three years. And so all retailers 
uh, are suffering from this, which is a lot of reason why a lot of them are opening up their own online stores and offering free shipping to entice their consumers to still buy from them. But when you have a company like Sony that's already struggling with their product line, take that and combine that with the e-commerce business, and it's it's a no-brainer why they're getting out of that whole retail brick-and-mortar business. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you look at uh, other stores like Apple. They've got their retail store, Samsung. Uh, you know, they've got a few retail stores going. They're also putting a lot of kind of uh, Samsung stores within stores. Yeah. You know, you'll go into certain locations uh, that will have, uh, you know, a big Samsung section. Same My- with Microsoft. Microsoft, yeah. yeah. They have a store. So, you know, I don't think retail stores are going to disappear anytime soon, but um, I think some of them might be in trouble if they're not competitive. Not every tech company can open up a retail store. We saw a couple of years ago, Mike, I think it was in 2011, HP yes. opening up their first kind of a test store in Vancouver. And we were there for the launch. And I remember we were looking at each other and we were making bets on how long they could survive. And we, I think both, most of us gave it about a year. And w- within a year and a half, they had closed down that store. They just realized that uh, they couldn't compete. I think of companies like Amazon and how big they've gotten. And they're only going to get bigger. So the whole retail experience uh, is changing very, very quickly. Google announced this week that they are um, not going to be making or selling Google Glass anymore. These were these uh, uh, wearable glasses that had uh, you know a computer built into it, so you could actually get like a little heads-up display that tied in with your uh, smartphone and internet connection. It had a camera built in, so uh, you could take pictures and video of uh, your travels as you went through, uh, and also get information up, uh, directions and what have you. So uh, they were selling for about fifteen hundred dollars, you know, for the past few years here. Uh, but now, toast. Are you surprised? Yeah, I didn't know what their end game... Well, I know what their end game is. You know, of course, if someone can develop glasses that really work properly. But, you know, did you ever try any on? Oh, I did, yes. I, could you imagine wearing those around all day? No, it was very distracting, though. That was the the issue I had with it, is that, yeah, that's kind of cool. But you're almost like trying to be in two worlds at the same time. And um, it, it, I, I didn't think that that would be a mass consumer product. It was something that was always going to be the uber geeks were going to want this, but uh, if you're going to have like an average person, I didn't think that they would ever want to wear glasses like that. What was it, the form factor or just the distraction of having that display? You know what, Mike? It opens up a huge can of worms. When you have a camera right there and people, you can, and people have shown that you can trick it so that there is no red light when you take a picture. So imagine going into a, a sensitive board meeting in a company and you're wearing Google glasses. Are you really going to disclose information when you know a guy across from you is wearing these glasses? It really opened up a whole uh, bunch of issues, not only in the workplace, but privacy issues as okay. well. Okay, so you wear glasses. Yes. Uh, would you, if they could make those your glasses without having all this extra crap on the side, like a big box for the battery and everything, would you wear them if the if you couldn't even tell that they were smart glasses? Potentially. I would definitely try them, yeah. but... It, especially from a consumer point of view, it comes down to the price point. How much value are you getting? Is this solving a problem of my life? And I don't think Google Glass was solving any kind of problems. It was, in, if anything, creating more problems than it was solving. Google Glass, rest in peace. Uh, they're not totally shutting down all that research. I think they're uh, kind of moving that division under the um, the whole Google Nest side. Remember Google bought Nest, uh, you know, the smart home thermometer and smoke detector uh that's a huge focus for them now they're sticking gazillions of dollars into that development not only that they are getting into the whole driverless car business as well they're trying to create 
um, Google as a, almost an operating system for your vehicle. So they have a lot of other things to uh, put their attention on. So I don't think people are going to miss the glasses anytime soon. Well, talking about the driverless cars, uh, we've seen the Google car that's been around for a number of years now, and it's been driving, uh, I forget what they've said here, I think around seven years, uh, accident-free. Yes, and so it's interesting because we have the technology now for these driverless cars, but what really I think for Mike, for us to see them on the roads, is all the laws need to change to allow this because there's a whole issues about liability, especially if one of these cars gets into an accident. Who's liable? Is it is it Google? Is it the manufacturer? Or is it the person that was in the car? Until those things can be solved, I think it's going to be very challenging to see mass adoption of driverless cars on the roads. We'll, we'll see it in test cities maybe for the next five years, I would imagine. Well, I was reading uh, you know, some reports um saying that some of the parts, the sensor parts in there, cost upwards of $70,000. So that kind of makes it cost prohibitive uh, for, you know. But we do know the cost will go down. Of course, of course. But it could also um, revitalize Detroit, because Detroit's struggling or not a lot. So if they start making driverless cars in Detroit and not in Silicon Valley, uh, that city could definitely benefit. But again, it's all about the laws. That really needs to be settled before these can be on the roads today. Well, Google's pretty aggressive. They want uh, these driverless cars in production by 2020. I don't know if that's going to happen in reality or not. You know, would you feel comfortable sitting in a car that's driving you to work? Uh, it's a dream. It's a definitely a dream. It uh, kind of freaks me out. Yeah, but it would be kind of cool. At the same time, there's a lot of things that need to be sorted out before before that happens. I, I know the car itself, uh, you know, the driverless ones are great. They've got all those sensors on there. But I worry about the other people that don't have the, <laughs> the computer-controlled cars. How does it react when a stupid human just comes out of nowhere, you know, blazes through an intersection when they're not supposed to? Like, what does it do? Exactly. That, what, kind of the... av- what kind of avoidance mechanisms does it have in place? Like, it has to make some split microsecond decisions. Like, does it try to avoid it? Uh, but by avoiding it, does it hit like a bunch of pedestrians? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they got to basically prove that the car can drive better than human beings before we could see a mass adoption. Well, I actually believe that it probably does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> does in most cases. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we've got so much great stuff to talk about. Are you worried about downloading movies and TV shows? We'll be talking with the folks over at openmedia.ca about uh, what that is all about now. Maybe you've gotten one of those letters in the mail. We'll also be... Uh, Finding out, can your boss legally spy on your computer at work? I think you'll be surprised at the answer at that. And when we do come back from the break, is it the year of the drones? You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. Lots of great stuff still to talk about. Have you been getting one of those letters in the mail from your uh, internet service provider about illegal downloading? Well, we'll tell you what you need to know about it uh, coming up uh, in a little while. And uh, can your boss legally spy on your computer? You'll be surprised at the answer. Well, right now we want to talk about uh, something uh, cool we're seeing more and more of. Well, I think they're cool. Drones. Uh, You know, these are these... uh, I guess mini uh, quadcopters and and what have you that can uh, fly and some have cameras. On the line right now, uh, we've uh, got Ted Christonis. He's a journalist and tech expert. Thanks for joining us, Ted. Hey, thanks, Mike. So are you like the the drone expert? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if there really is a drone expert at this point, but um, it is uh, is a burgeoning uh, category, though, in uh, consumer tech for sure. What are some of the more popular kind of drones that we're starting to see now? Uh, 
that's I'm not sure that there's one popular one yet. I mean, Parrot has made them uh, for a few years now, uh, their AR drone, and now they have a miniature one as well uh, called the Rolling Spider. Um, but uh, aside from that, there are uh, DG is another one that has uh, they, they've had a pretty nice uh, drone for a while. There, of course, it's a little expensive. It's over a thousand dollars. For the most part, a lot of drones have been basic. Uh, whereas the, some of the stuff that we saw at, at CES was uh, a little more advanced, specifically as far as um, them sort of locking onto you and focusing on you, so you know, sort of taking selfies of yourself from different angles. Drone selfies. <laughs> yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that where we? Is that where we're at now? Drone selfies. Uh, well, I mean, there was. I think the smallest drone that we saw at, at the show was the Nixie, which was the one that wraps around your wrist, and you kind of flick it outward. Uh, it flies forward. It then shoots a selfie of you and then flies back into your hand. Um, you know, it's sort of like a pet drone. Like, it's, it's, it, it, it seems a little strange. Uh, I think people would have to see it, uh, and there, there's plenty of video of it on the web. Uh, to, to sort of imagine what I mean, what I mean by that. But yeah, it, 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 there is sort of a, a self indulgence <laughs> that comes with some of these drones for sure. Uh, Ted, you know, I think everybody has seen that video that Amazon released last year, showing that you can get your packages delivered via drone. Do you think that's a possibility that we're going to actually have that in, in the coming years? Uh, possibly, but I mean, I have to wonder the logistics behind that. Um, could drones collide with each other? Could there could the drone run into something? Um, you know, could the package be stolen by someone who can maybe commandeer the drone somehow? Uh, I mean, these are just a few questions that that kind of come up. I think it's possible, but it, it, I would see it as a very limited, in a very limited scale and probably a limited radius. I, I, I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing that happening in any significant way, at least in the next two or three years. It's funny, when you think about it, drones, kind of like the Internet, was developed by the military initially, and now we're seeing it being used in a consumer sense. But uh, one thing that I worry about is, like, Mike, and we've seen this a lot, a lot of film production companies are using drones now to get some good aerial shots. But what if it gets into the wrong hands? And we've seen this with technology where people use it in a, in a way that the inventor never had uh, imagined it being used. But like, what happens if you attach a gun to a drone? Now you could have like drone assassins out there because you could remotely control this and basically, uh, like, imagine you're the mafia 2.0 and you're taking hits by a drone or drone buys instead of drive buys. Yeah, it, it sounds crazy, um, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, these things could eventually happen. Uh, I, I actually see a scenario more likely to happen first is the peeping tom drone. Um, you know, I, I'm imagining the, the the guy, you know, flying this thing near a, a condo building and trying to, you know, peer into windows and things like that. I mean, it sounds crazy, but, uh, you know, technology sometimes brings out the worst in some people, and uh, drones could very well do that. They're going to be a lot of fun for a lot of people, but uh, they also could uh, be used for nefarious purposes, too. Well, you know, the, the one challenge I see is that, you know, with a lot of these drones, uh, you know, they're, you know, the small kind of hobby ones. Uh, once you get over $1,000, you start looking at some of the more serious ones. Uh, but anyone can go out and buy these. Yeah. And I just <clears throat> wonder sometimes about the whole safety aspect uh, of these drones flying up there. And if there's any issues, I mean, they're going to come down and yeah. not in a good way. Uh, are we worried about these things hitting people or cars or people? <laughs> it's probably the most important thing. 
there should be some concern for that. Uh, I mean, I can tell you guys, I had one time I was flying a drone in a park, and it, it, because the wind was a little bit, uh, it was gusting a little bit, uh, I, I sort of lost it over trees, um, and I had to do a crash landing, basically, an emergency landing. So it, it landed. It was Its fall was broken a fair bit by some branches, but it did crash onto the ground. It didn't. Nobody was around, so nobody got hurt, but I had no control really over where it was landing at that point. So uh, th- that is a concern, and, and I, I think it's inevitable that somebody is going to get hurt. I hate to say it, but I think it's inevitable that somebody is going to get hurt because someone's going to lose control. Uh, they're not going to know where the thing's landing. They have to do an emergency landing, and then, you know, who knows. Unless, of course, the manufacturers make them smart enough to, I don't know, maybe reorient themselves in some way so that they, they, they can land in a softer way. But uh, I, I haven't seen that yet. I, I wonder how, you know, what kind of uses these things are going to have over the next five to ten years. I know the technology is still advancing. It's advancing rapidly in, in many cases. But uh, right now, I, you know, I can see hobbyists, like, flying these things. Uh, I see for, uh, you know, video and film production, uh, very, very uh, handy. But uh, what other uses uh, are you starting to see, Ted? Well, I'm not. Sh- I'm not seeing much yet. Uh, I, although I can, I do see travel being a big part of this. Uh, as the drones get smaller and the cameras get better within the drones, uh, I can see this being sort of the camera that people bring with them. Uh, I mean, they'll have their smartphone to control it, but to get some of that cinematic type footage uh, of you know a place like Machu Picchu or the Eiffel Tower, or I mean, I mean, there's so many different parts of the world where you can really use these uh, and get some great shots. I can see travel being something interesting uh, for people. Uh, sports, I think, might be another one. Well, Ted, it uh, looks like we're out of time here. I want to thank you so much uh, for uh, joining us, and we hope to have you on again soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. That was Cred, uh, Ted Christonis. When we come back, have you got one of those letters in the mail from your Internet service provider? Are you downloading illegally? Well, we'll give you a lowdown on that. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. We've got uh, lots of great content left. Uh, In a little while, uh, we'll be finding out if it's legal for your boss to spy on you and your computer at uh, work. We'll be talking with Jillian Shaw from the Vancouver Sun. And, of course, as always, uh, Christina Soyanova with App of the Week later on. Andy. Yes. I know uh, you know people. Maybe you do it perhaps yourself. You download I, I know content. people. I know people who download. Yes, yes. Uh, and <laughs> some people are starting to get letters from their internet service provider that that might not be a good thing. You're downloading illegal stuff. I myself got a letter in the mail. On the line right now, we've got uh, Megan Solly. She's uh, from OpenMedia.ca. Thanks for joining us, Megan. Glad to be here. Maybe you can give our listeners uh, the lowdown of, on on what's starting to happen now. Uh, I know a lot of people have been downloading uh, TV shows and, and movies, uh, not necessarily legally, but uh, now people are starting to get letters. Why is that? So essentially what's happened is as of January 2015, um, Canadian ISPs are now required by law to pass along notices from rights holders that allege copyright infringement. Um, so many uh, Internet users are now finding that they're receiving notices from their ISP saying that they have allegedly infringed copyright um, for downloading movies, for downloading music, um, for various other things. Should we be concerned if we get one of these letters? Well, it's certainly 
an alarming situation um, for many Canadian Internet users. Uh, so after the recent changes to the copyright rules, we now see that uh, especially large U.S. media companies um, are already abusing the new law to send threatening and misleading notices to Canadians. So it's definitely something that uh, uh, many of our supporters and other Canadians who have received these notices are concerned about. So if, if you were to get one, uh, what do you do besides stop downloading stuff? encourage people to do is, um, in some of the notices that we have seen samples of, uh, there's actually information that says, for more, for more information about what is in this notice, feel free to contact XYZ rights holder. And we're actually encouraging people not to do that. Um, one of the great things about the notice and notice system that went into place in January uh, is that it's designed to be fair for internet users, for creators, and we actually know that it is um, a, a good system. Uh, built into this system is, is an exception that when your ISP gets this notice, they don't forward along your personal information to the rights holder. It's actually just passed along through them as an intermediary. So the rights holder does not have your address and they don't have your name and they would have to get a court order to be able to follow up on these things. So what we're encouraging Canadian downloaders to do is if they receive one of these notices, not to contact these rights holders because essentially they would be giving away information that our system is designed to prevent them from getting without a court order. Now, Megan, I know this is new in Canada, but this has been going on in the States for a long, long time. Uh, Mike, it makes me think of the Napster days. Oh, my God. And, yeah. uh, and all the litigation that these big record companies were going after, like a little 16-year-old boy with an $80,000 lawsuit for that you downloaded you know, this new album. But uh, this is kind of new for Canada. Is that not correct, Megan? It is true, yes. So this is something that Canadians have not faced before, um, so it's something that would be alarming to many people. Um, something that many Canadians probably don't know is that uh, some of these companies that are operating in the United States, they're often referred to as copyright trolls because they send you notices asking for um, settlements before anything has actually been proven in a court of law. So in particular, Rights Corp is one of these organizations in the States, and they're actually being sued right now in the United States for this harassing techniques. Um, so they get the names and addresses, the phone numbers of particular individuals, and they actually make robocalls to their homes, um, threatening and harassing these people. And they're currently facing a class action lawsuit in the United States. Well, there's not only that. There's another argument. Like, people have Wi-Fi networks at their home. So it's really, how do you prove that that person who actually pays the bill for the Internet was the person that, that had downloaded that illegal movie? It's like, I can just imagine parents being concerned because they probably don't know what their kids are downloading, yet the parents might still be liable with this new law. Yes, so that's absolutely correct. So one of the things that uh, people are suggesting, and one of the, the great tips for that is to make sure that you have a password on your wireless router, make sure that your internet uh, connection is secured. Um, but there is definitely case law and precedence in Canada that states that um, uh, at your uh, address is not a, does not mean that you're a person, or you're, sorry, you're, your um, address for your internet connection does not equate a person. So essentially, um, just because they have your ISP address um, doesn't mean that that particular person who pays for the internet is actually liable for that. And there is um, some interesting cases in Canada in which that has actually been uh, uh, approved by judges saying, you know, um, I'm sorry, your, your internet service provider, your particular connection does not equate to a person. So we'd be looking forward in the future to see, you know, what more of this, uh, I'm sure that we'll be seeing lots more of these cases going to court and uh, sort of see what comes out of that. Well, I mean, that's interesting. You know, for example, in my home, there's five people. So theoretically, the rights holder, if they felt so inclined, would have to then uh, prove specifically who downloaded that, that content. That's absolutely correct, yes.
Oh, that's that that's would almost be, be next to impossible. In yeah. some it is a really tough thing, and that's one of the things that we've uh, we've made sure to let our supporters know and other people who are concerned about this issue is that an ISP address does not equal a person. So um, as much as these particular companies might want you to believe that they've already pinned you down, they know who you are and where you live, and you should just pay up now before you get sued, that's actually really not true. And that's why we're definitely encouraging people not to give up their personal information um, without some sort of uh, real understanding of that they've done things wrong. Um, it's important to remember that these notices are all sent on the basis of alleged infringement, and there's absolutely no proof that any of the individuals have received one of them broken the law. So we haven't seen any uh, rights holders uh, go after any Canadians specifically yet? We haven't, um, and we definitely have, have heard from these organizations that they are going to be expanding into Canada. Um, so that's something that we're looking to see and, and looking to see how that falls out. Um, but it's important to note that, that also the maximum penalty for this type of infringement in Canada is $5,000. Um, so many of these misleading notices, and this is one of the reasons why we say they're misleading, claim in them, you know, you can be sued for up to $150,000, for example. That's one of the numbers we've seen. And that's patently not true under Canadian law. Um, there is a maximum infringement penalty that has been put on it, and it's $5,000 in Canada, which is why we don't see a lot of these international rights holders going through the trouble of bringing Canadians to court, because it's such a small amount that they can actually uh, get back from them. So I guess for them, it's more the fear. And it is, and absolutely. That's, you know, this is why we're very concerned about it. It's, 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 we're calling it a shakedown. I mean, thousands of Canadians actually have already spoken out about this issue at Open Media's website. Um, we are asking for Industry Minister James Moore to put into place common-sense rules around what type of information can be included in a notice. Um, we are aware that when they were designing this system, they actually went about halfway through the process to, halfway through the process to putting into place these common-sense rules about what can and cannot be in a notice, that you're not allowed to misrepresent Canadian law, but they actually abandoned that process. So what we're asking them to do is uh, pick that back up and put into place these common-sense rules that will protect Canadians from these threatening notices. I had a question about the $5,000 uh, potential fine. Is that for just one piece of content, or what if you downloaded, like, 100 I believe, I will have to get back to you on that, but I believe it's a $5,000 maximum for, um, per infringement. Um, but that's why we also include uh, the advice not to contact these rights holders, because a lot of times once you contact a rights holder and say, sure, I'll pay the $20 that you've accused me of you know, downloading a movie or whatever, we've seen $20 as a settlement for a lot of these things, what they'll actually do is go back through their records, find anything else that you've supposedly infringed on from that ISP address, and then say, you know, you're also liable for this, 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 and this, which is why we're asking Canadians really not to expose themselves to that. And people can find out more information up on your website about all this? Absolutely. If they're looking for information or if they're looking for a place to, uh, to speak out, openmedia.ca slash shakedown is where we're asking um, Canadians to step up and speak out, um, ask Industry Minister James Moore to make common sense rules. And um, definitely you can just find information about this topic at openmedia.ca. That was Megan Solly from openmedia.ca. Some good information for uh, people starting to get some of these uh, notices. When we come back from the break, we'll uh, be talking with our uh, good friend Jillian Shaw over from the Vancouver Sun. She's a tech journalist. Uh, and finding out, can your boss legally spy on your computer? We'll also be uh, telling you what the, uh, the prize is this week for the Get Connected contest. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back shortly after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. What's the contest this week, Andy? 
This week, we've got a fabulous contest. We're giving away the Romo Smartphone Robot. This is a robot you use with your iPhone. It can be an iPhone 5 or under, I believe. And basically, it's like this little uh, rover that you could see through your iPhone and drive around um, with your smartphone. you got to check it out. We actually tested this out on our, on our TV show. So if you go to our YouTube channel, Get Connected TV Show, and just type in Romo, R-O-M-O, Inside the channel, you'll be able to check out this video that we shot with it. And to enter, all you got to do is go to our website, www.getconnectedmedia.com. Well, technology is in all parts of our lives, especially at work. We use computers, laptops, smartphones every day. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but it never gets old to me. Can your uh, boss legally spy on the stuff that you're doing on your computer and, and your other technology, for that matter? On the line right now, we've got Jillian Shaw, tech journalist from the Vancouver Sun. Thanks for joining us, Jillian. Hi, Mike. Nice to be here. So, can my boss legally spy on me? Well, that's a tricky question, Mike. You know, one one way of looking at this is kind of like social media, you know, but just assume everything you post you might read on the front page of the paper someday. Um, that may be said about what you what you write or what you browse through when you're on your workplace computer, but in actual fact, there are limitations to what employers can do. They're, your boss can't actually spy on you. Although some people, like the mayor of Saanich, Richard Atwell, thinks that someone is spying on him through security <laughs> software. So, so what happened with him? Well, what happened to the Saanich mayor is really interesting. He um, held a press conference at the beginning of this week, and he said he had cleared out of City Hall and he was using a non-City Hall email, email because he thought his, his computer was being spied on. And and as it turned out, or according to City Hall, this wasn't this isn't he's not being spied on. This is a security software which is pretty standard on any company, organization, government body. Probably, I mean, at our place, when when I sign into my email and my post media email for the Vancouver Sun, there's a disclaimer that says when you're signing into this, you're agreeing to, you know, all sorts of things. And if if you look at most companies, most organizations, and in the government, there'll be an acceptable use policy. So there is there is the idea that yes, the your IT department, mostly for security, and to protect itself and to protect your company, can be tracking a lot of the stuff that's going on. I mean, for instance, if you send a, if if you send in some places, if you were to send out an email that has something that looks like a credit card number in it, you're IT department will automatically send you an email saying it's not a good idea to send credit cards in open email. Now, is that spying or is that security? And there are lots of other cases. I mean, for instance, if you get a if you get a some you get some spyware yourself or you get a virus that comes through your email, your security system, which is tracking your email, is probably or hopefully going to pick that up. So employee monitoring is not new. It's somewhat controversial, and had has gone cases have gone all the way to the Supreme Court on this. Well, it's interesting. You know, I've been in business for many years, and any time I've ever encountered any, uh, you know, issues uh, between you know the work and employee, and if it has to go uh, to you know a legal situation, uh, email is the first thing that comes up, and essentially you know is the basis for whatever case you know either party has. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, I think a lot of employers and employees are using that to uh, to back their arguments. 
Well, they are, but the thing and the thing is there can be a differentiation between what's personal and what's work. So if you're using your work email, that's fair game. There have been rulings. In fact, there was a, a Supreme Court of Canada's decision where the judge said that even if you have a reduced expectation of privacy on a, on your workplace computer, there are still some you do still have some privacy and when that that comes into effect according to lawyers is if your workplace um, allows allows some personal use of computers, whether it does so through policy or it does so through practice. So your company might have a practice that says no personal, no shopping online, no personal use of your, this computer. But in practice, everybody in the place is checking their Facebook, surfing the web, doing whatever. Well, if, if that, a case like that were to go to court, the judge would say, well, in practical, in practical use, People were using their workplace computers for some personal personal things, and no, the company is not allowed to infringe on that. So it's important for companies, if they want those kinds of rules in place, that they actually enforce them on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think it's, it's not just a matter of the software, um, Mike. It's also it's the policies, and the, the key is the policies. And companies have to accompany, when they have employee monitoring software, it has to be accompanied by by policies that are are agreed to, that are understood first and then agreed to by the employees, um, and they can't be covert. In fact, the Privacy Commissioner of BC has said that she doesn't know of any case where covert spying, so this would be where the employee doesn't know about it, has, has um, has ever been found to be justified under privacy law. So you can't really spy on your employees. No, that's an important message, I think, for uh, employers uh, out there, definitely. Jillian, thanks for uh, joining us on the show today. Uh, As always, it's a pleasure. My pleasure. Jillian Shaw, tech journalist over at the Vancouver Sun. When we come back from the break, we will be talking with Christina Stoyanova about the app of the week. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back shortly after this. We're back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo with Andy Brewer. It's that time of the week, App of the Week with Christina Stoyanova. Thanks for coming on the show, Christina. Thanks for having me. What do we got today? Today we have an app called Dashlane. Um, This is one of those password manager apps, Mike. So I think I talked about LastPass, um, you know, closer to when the Heartbleed thing was going on. But this is just a different option for managing all your passwords. So the idea behind these password managers is that they allow you to generate secure passwords and there's a master password that you remember and it lets you um, get into the password manager and then you can actually grab all your passwords from in there. But if you forget that one, you're screwed. Yeah, you're kind of hooped. So you <laughs> you got to remember that one and yeah. you have to find something that's complicated enough that people aren't going to be able to get in and at the same time memorable for you. So this is an app you load onto your smartphone or tablet and essentially uh, it'll help you generate these passwords for all the different sites and things you're doing uh, online and, uh, and basically remember them all for you. Yes, that's right. And does it cost money? Uh, yeah, so these password managers all have free versions, um, like LastPass, which is what I've been using, uh, has a free version, but I actually upgraded to premium because I needed that to get um, you know, the phone app. With Dashlane, it's a little bit different, so um, there is a free version 
but to get the cloud service, which is where all your passwords get stored in the cloud and you can access them from anywhere, it's twenty nine ninety nine for oh forever or year uh Good per question. year sorry per year. i sorry that was thirty nine ninety nine my apologies and uh for Apple and Android phones. Yeah, so it works across all of your devices. Um, so you can actually have it on your computer as well. And the great thing about this one, uh, what differentiates it from some of the other ones, it, it is it has a digital wallet. So it actually memorizes all of your um, credit card numbers and PayPal information and all of that stuff because I've, I've always found it frustrating having to re-enter that everywhere. Um, so having this, it's sort of... Um, you know, minimal clicks and types to actually autofill the information when you're buying something on Amazon or what have so you. It's like adding to your brain in, yeah. the, in the cloud. Yes, exactly. You get to clear out the space in your head and let Dashlane <laughs> worry about all that stuff. <laughs> I don't know what other good information I would stick in there, but uh, no, it sounds like a very cool uh, app. And I think really important uh, nowadays, especially when. Uh, uh, we see all these breaches into you know different e-commerce sites and what have you. So it's important that you actually have a decent password and different passwords for everything. Well, thank you very much, Christina. That's all the time we have left for today's show. I want to thank Andy Barrar, my co-host and producer, and, of course, Christina for App of the Week and all our guests and our Get Connected team. Mike, Andy, and Christina logging off. We'll see you again next week. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.